for today's Sparta podcast, we are joined by an Olympic bronze medalist. But this Olympic bronze medalist is someone who is one of us. We are Natalie Gobriel today, who went to Tokyo, the Olympics in Tokyo, and won a bronze medal with the women's football team, Nat. How are we doing today? Doing so great. Really excited to be here with you, Tyler. Oh. And, uh, and happy to, to just get an opportunity to chat about this with you. We are really excited to have you here too. So first things first, I, we got to ask the, the big question. So you're our head athletic therapist. You have, uh, you have joined us for today's podcast to talk about the Olympics and a couple other things, but let's just jump right into the Olympics first. Tell us about that experience. It was your first Olympics, I believe. Yeah, that was my first um, summer Olympics in a role where I was working with an NSO, which was a national sporting organization. I had kind of volunteered at the 2010 Olympics when they were here in Vancouver, but that is um, a very different role. And so this was really my first genuine Olympic Games, and it was probably the most incredible experience that I've had thus far in my career. Um, Like there's just something so fulfilling about seeing the rings for the first time in person or having that opportunity to be with your team and then experiencing those moments together for the first time, something that you've worked for for so long. And in this case, it was a five-year cycle as opposed to a four-year cycle. Mm -hmm. So seeing that come to fruition was just, yeah, exceptionally um, fulfilling. It was awesome. hundred percent. Yeah. Like the, the environment of the Olympics is really like no other. Yeah, of all sports, yeah, as we all know, it's this massive collection of so many athletes, so many events, and so much pure excitement. I remember Vancouver 2010, me being someone who grew up in this area my whole life. It's purely electric. It, totally. there's, there is absolutely no environment like it. So what was it like to just be a part of that and be immersed in that? it like the coolest one of the coolest events the world puts on yeah it was I mean walk not walking we drove into the Olympic Village for the first time on the 17th of July and that's when we entered into the village and that was pretty early there weren't a lot of teams there but you get into the village and you get out there and you walk through and there's like this road of nations and so it's this road full with every single flag of every country that's participating in the Olympics and at the very end of the road there's like the water right behind it and there's the olympic rings so you're walking down this road looking at every country that's going to be there you see the olympic rings and it just comes to like you're like this is it like this mm-hmm. is the moment that we've been working towards and that feeling is just so incredible and then the then the village starts flooding in with all the different teams and all the different athletes and you're walking around and for coming up i mean we were in a pandemic still seeing that many athletes or people just in general was like a highlight in and of itself. I'm like, we haven't seen this many people in over a year and a half and we're all in one location. But you're also seeing people who are like at the prime of their sport, right? So everyone around there is someone who is in essence elite. And that's incredible. Like you're, you're immersed in this village of people who are committed to doing something so great. And everyone is kind of at that 
pinnacle of their career for some of them, I guess there, there's other opportunities in different sports, but you walk around and everyone is also genuinely just as excited. Like they're stoked to be there and you feel that electricity in the village. Everyone's stoked that the Olympics are going on because we weren't certain if they would, could pull the plug at any point again. They're there and they're excited to compete and you're walking around and everyone is just so kind and so humble and it's amazing. There's probably got to be like a level of angst with that, with just like COVID. Hey, like this Olympics was truly like no other because we were dealing with all this stuff still. And you can say, oh, yeah, well, we're totally going to play because we're all here. But at this point, we just like it, it's almost like nothing is a given. So it's like uh, an experience like that for you must have just felt like such a privilege, especially given the the climate that we're in right now. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I think there was that moment, like the minute we got to the village, I think that was the only moment we could finally take a breath or a sigh of relief, knowing that the games are going to go on. Prior to that, there's always maybe a little bit of anxiety in the back of our minds that because they're going into a state of emergency, they're extending the state of emergency. We didn't really know, and the climate around the whole world, to be honest, we didn't know if there was going to be an opportunity for us to actually compete or not. And so, yeah, we were super thankful and grateful. The Japanese Olympic Committee, the IOC, everyone did a phenomenal job in making sure that it was safe and being able to run it. And they did it in a way that it still felt, you still felt the magnitude and like the awe of the games, even with all the restrictions. So it was incredible. Let's talk a little bit about the actual tournament that you and the women's softball team actually uh, competed in. I know you were on the side, you know, making sure all the ankles were, were taped and everyone's doing all right, but hey, everyone, <laughs> everyone plays a part. Right. So, um, uh, I, I, I just wanted to ask like that last game against Mexico, I would, I believe. Yeah. I remember watching game. Yeah. the, the, the run scored in the seventh inning, like once that once the team goes up three two what's the what's the energy in the dugout like at that point oh man it is like unreal we're so stoked on the sideline it's all about pumping up our teammates um, and making sure that we kind of hold on to that lead and you have that almost that feeling of like we got this like we are that close to bringing home a medal for the first time in Canadian softball history. It's ended up being the first medal of the Olympic games for Canada. And we're like something that we've been dreaming of for so long. So the sideline feels unreal. Like you, we wouldn't even have known that there were no fans in the stands because of how loud we're cheering, how much we're pumping up our team and the energy that was on the sidelines. Like that moment is unreal. Obviously the athletes stormed um, the field after that last out, we're going crazy on the sidelines. Then we go out there and storm the field and it's just like elation. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You, you have served in, in various uh, positions that aren't just as an athletic therapist with the Trinity Western University Spartans. You've had a couple other roles with some uh, minor league baseball teams. Uh, I think I saw a couple lacrosse teams and, and stuff like that. So I just wanted to ask, do, are different sports and like dealing with different kinds of athletes uh, in the athletic therapist realm, is that 
is that a lot different? Can it be quite difficult adjusting? Um, there's for sure adjustment. I don't know. I guess it depends on how difficult it is based on probably partly your, your personality. Every sport's different. Obviously there's different types of injuries in, in those different sports. And so being able to adjust to that knowing what you're going to anticipate. Um, and to be honest, it's more cultural. Like every sport has a different form of a culture to it. And so a softball culture might be different than a lacrosse culture, which might be different than a football culture. And so it's just understanding the culture and diving into it and being able to adapt that way. And then obviously to the injuries that you're going to anticipate coming with that, those types of sports. But yeah, I mean, every sport is that I've participated either as an athlete or worked in has been pretty, pretty incredible. One thing I couldn't find out in my little pre pod i i do uh i couldn't find what kind of sports you played <laughs> so what did you play um so i grew up playing primarily uh softball basketball and volleyball and then when i was in university i ended up playing softball and lacrosse at york university okay and in my time there, um, as I was nearing my undergraduate degree, basketball was still a big part of uh, my life. I was playing with the university team in their summer league. And so I have an Egyptian background. And so I had um, kind of went to Egypt to pursue that and played with their national team kind of in between my degrees and then came back to finish up my degrees um, in Canada and then went on and, and went into my profession. Would you say that playing a sport so like softball is one that you're quite familiar with, obviously through playing. Yeah. And you've also served in multiple roles with Canada softball and some baseball teams. Would you say that having a better understanding of just like how the sport works and I guess playing it, uh, would you say that helps in the realm of athletic therapy a lot or at some point they, they all kind of just blend together? Um, I think it, it probably gives me a little bit of a, an innate kind of understanding of what needs to be done by the athletes in that sport. I don't think it's necessary to have played the sport. Obviously, you can learn all the logistics of it. I think the biggest thing is just understanding the biomechanics of what the athlete has to do based on their position or um, how they kind of utilize their skills. And so you could do that whether you were an athlete or not, it's just taking the time to understand. And so maybe I just have a little bit more of a, an innate background of those things, but then still have to put in the work like another therapist would have to do in terms of understanding those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, going back to the Olympics a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about it. <laughs> Japan, Tokyo, is number one on my list of places I want to be to. Could Rightfully you? so. Yes. I, I've heard it's like the best. I've heard it's not even just like the city. It's just like a little bit of everything is just really cool. I've heard culture is super interesting, engaging there. So could you tell yeah. us a little bit just about what, what it was like being in Tokyo? Yeah, I mean... Thankfully, we've had lots of experience being out in Japan. So we had gone out in 2017 and twice in 2018. So we actually had been out into Tokyo for the most part and experienced quite a bit of their culture. But even in the Olympic Games, like we had gone out two weeks prior for our pre-games camp. And so we were in a city called Anjo who had hosted us before. And you just get a real feel for 
what the people are like. Obviously, we weren't allowed out into the city. We were only allowed to our venues and our hotel and those types of things. But we had our translators and volunteers kind of around who had actually had been with us in 2018. And so every time we, we drove up to our facility for training, there were people who were outside the barricades and they were just there and they're obviously there to cheer us on and get a glimpse of what was happening. And they were just really excited. And so we were really thankful to see the excitement of the people, the Japanese people for the games, because obviously there's had been all, some controversy about it as well. But everyone that we had encountered is just so welcoming, so warm. They want to make you feel like you're at home. They would literally take the shirt off their back if you needed a t-shirt and so we had people doing things that were so crazy for us just because they really wanted to make our our experience as awesome as it possibly could be and so i think Jap japanese culture is incredible like they're super sophisticated um if, if you go to japan and you see tokyo and then you come back to north america you understand like how intricate the things that they think about are and how sophisticated it is super clean the people are so warm it's just a really cool place to, to visit so mm -hmm. i would 100 percent recommend it so as canadians and people who are living in canada now what are what are the biggest what are the biggest things we can learn from the japanese <laughs> Number one, make the elevator button so that you can press it again if you hit it incorrectly so that it goes off and you don't have to stop on every level. <laughs> so smart. It's genius. It's it is simple genius. but genius. We should start so, a business on just elevators that 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 have forgiveness. 100 percent Yeah. Okay. My people uh, will get in contact with yours, eh? my people not yeah, my yeah, people yeah. their people <laughs> yeah well i mean we're just basically ripping off their elevator idea now so yeah totally if we yeah. start this business right like yeah, everyone's gonna want to buy it. our elevators yeah that's true we gotta yeah. make sure it's not trademarked first yeah exactly <laughs> i mean the silly things I would say would, would be that. And obviously they have like the panel right beside your bed. So you can turn off every single light in your room or turn on the TV or the radio or whatever, just from your bedside, which I think is also genius. I think the biggest thing from Japanese culture is just be kind, like be warm, be generous, those types of things. And that's, I think the essence of the people that we had encountered in Japan and mm -hmm. they would love to, they want you to love their, their country and their cities and they would do anything for you and so they just extend love as much as they can I think that's the biggest thing that we would take away yeah yeah I, I knew culture there was very based on respect and you yeah you see that manifest itself and also just like the way they treat their city too like such a big place like Tokyo apparently it's super clean yeah there's no uh, garbage cans on the street you have to take your garbage home with you put exactly. it in your bag take it home and throw it away yeah so yeah, it's it that, that's a really a, a really cool and honestly like it's like a very like people have a lot of like agency over like what they can do to contribute to greater things and that's cool. Yeah. 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 We and they take that responsibility to heart for sure. Yeah, we need more yeah. of that. We need more yeah. of that. Um shifting now to your role with TWU yeah. Uh, first things first, worst athlete to deal with. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I kid. Uh, but tell us, you've been, you've been with the Spartans for a while now. Uh, tell us, yeah. do you have any, any moments that stick out to you as a highlight? It could be, I don't know, rehabbing an athlete, 
from a really serious injury or even just like a national championship? What is it? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously quite a few highlights that would come to mind right away. Um, if we're talking in the sporting realm, I think when we had hosted um, nationals, both for women's soccer in 2008 and men's volleyball in 2010, like winning on home field slash court is a pretty incredible experience, especially with the TWU environment, like the fans that came out to support the community that came out to support those events. And then that moment of winning and seeing everybody kind of, they all stormed the field with us. They all stormed the court. I don't know if you had heard anything about the 2010 um, nationals in men's volleyball. The place was like packed out. I mean, people were sitting on the stairwells and the minute that we were on, like the whole floor was packed and they're like lifting up our athletes and that moment of like, that was electric. So this, the same type of feeling um, at the university level, just feeling those moments. And obviously there's been success in a lot of our programs over the years and um, both home and away. And so we have quite a few national championships and I think Trinity Western does an incredible job of um, supporting their programs and their athletes. Um, all around and not just in athletics. And so I think all those moments feel pretty incredible, but there's obviously the day-to-day, -day, I think highlights that we get to see as athletic therapists where someone's injured and then having them kind of go through the highs and lows of their journey coming back to sport. And so you live those highs and lows with them and then seeing them actually return to their sport and seeing them A, start playing again, but then also starting to succeed in their performances. I think that's a really cool um, process to be a part of. So as someone who's had a significant athletic injury happen to them, I tore my ACL in grade 12 playing soccer. <laughs> yeah, um, it's an unfortunate injury. Yeah, it was a doozy. I just <laughs> wanted to ask, like, injuries take such a mental, mental toil on athletes, especially one like a torn ACL where it's like you tear it, one or two months later you're getting surgery. Yeah. And then basically for an entire year after that, you're just not allowed to compete at the level that you want to be in the level you're supposed to be in a sense. Yeah. Right. Um, for you as a, as an athletic therapist, like what, like, what is your, it, what is the, the mental, what is the, what is the mental side of that look like for you? For me personally experiencing it yeah. or for so me like walking you, through walking through it with them but also for you like you you're put in such a in such an important position where you are intended to in a sense help assist fixing the physical ailment while um while moving towards like getting this athlete in a mindset where they can yeah. also like trust their body once again right for sure yeah. yeah, I think it, it's kind of twofold on both sides. So as a therapist and then trying to relate it to the athlete, I think from our perspective, it's a little bit easier because we've dealt with um, a lot of ACL injuries in our history. And so for us, it's really objective and practical. And so that's easy for me to kind of formulate in my head, okay, this is what the process is going to generally look like. It's going to look a little bit different for everybody, but we know kind of our goals. We know how to obtain those goals for the most part. And then if there's complications, we can work around it. Um, and so that's already laid out in my head. And I have that information because I've had the experience of working through that with the athletes. And so that's easier for me in terms of the mental side of it, because it's objective. But then from the athlete side, especially if it's their first time around, and hopefully it's only a one-time incident for the athletes, 
there's no kind of precedent. So they don't have that background. And so it's harder for them to grasp how this all looks like in the long run, like in that stretch of returning, whereas every single moment or every single either roadblock or timeline or incident can be the biggest deal in the world because if I'm not meeting it, am I postponing my return to my sport? And so I think part of it is kind of educating them and helping them understand, okay, these are the things that we're trying to obtain. It doesn't have to be on a necessary timeline. As long as we're meeting our objectives, then we're on the right track. And it, even if something is a little bit slower, we'll can make that time up a little bit later down the road. So it's not the end of the world. And I think a lot of it too, is making sure that they take ownership of the things that they need to do to get back. And so I feel like if we only hold the control, then it's harder for them to kind of feel like they're working towards it. And they have a lot of input into what's happening. Whereas if we're like, okay, here's the stuff that you need to do, but you need to be exceptionally diligent at it and you need to make sure you're doing it properly. You need to ask questions if you don't understand. And I think that kind of puts a little bit more, uh, their mind a little bit more at ease. And then to be honest, on the side of that, I mean, we empathize obviously every time they hit a roadblock or any of those things. And so kind of allowing them to feel those emotions, trying to support them through it, and then also referring them to, for external support if needed. And I think that's something that um, we try and do because we know it's such an extended injury and there's going to be a lot of things that they're going to go through um, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, even. And we're experts in a certain area, but we're not experts in all those areas. And so if they need some support, then we'll, we'll refer them out for some extra support in the process. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a huge part of that also just must be prevention. Like prevention is probably something you deal with a lot with athletes, um, working out imbalances in the body, all of it how much how much do you stress that even to just like the common person because like people are always in pain physically yeah for, like throughout <laughs> life right like I can't sit at a desk for more than two hours without having to stand up and just like make sure my back isn't gonna explode on me right explode wow yeah <laughs> strong words but, yeah uh, sometimes it feels that way but um for the common person, what are some, what are some physical fitness and just injury and pain prevention tips you have? Um, I, I think being proactive is, is the yeah. best. I mean, you have to find a balance of something that's going to help you keep, stay mobile and help keep you strong at the same time. I don't think if you lean on one side more than the other, um, that's going to be the best outcome for you. So I think finding the best combination. And then if you need support in terms of figuring out what that looks like for for you in terms of your previous previous incidences or just your body type, then I think that's finding the support you need early on and then educating yourself on how to do those things to keep yourself healthy moving into the future. Mm -hmm. A big part of your uh, job as well too is you're you're in charge of a lot of junior uh, junior therapists. Yeah, they're school. awesome. They're yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, shout out to. Cole Beeksma. Yeah. Yeah. Award winner. <laughs> he was our award winner last yeah. year. Good job, Cole. Good job, Cole. Um, I just wanted to ask, what does that look like for you? Because you were probably in a similar situation when you were back at university. Yeah. As a lot of these students that you're also now guiding through uh, a, a career path that could very well look 
a lot like yours that you're that you're currently in right now could you tell us a little bit about like kind of like what like what is your mindset heading into even just like a, a basic meeting where you're running them through like how to properly tape an ankle all that all that kind of stuff yeah I mean I think our goal and so I work also with Katia and Leanne who are on staff with us in the therapy department. And so I think our goal collectively is just to equip um, the students with as much good information as possible. Like we want to set a solid foundation for them because we might have them for a, a few years and they're going to hopefully um, go on to whatever profession they want to do or continue on in grad school. And so I think we want to give them a solid foundation so that by the time they get to their grad school, they feel like they're probably ahead or hopefully ahead of some of their other um, students that they're in the, their course with. And so we go in there and then we start with the basics and we make sure we can master the basics and then we start building on from there. And so we do quite an intensive week at the beginning of the year when they first join us just so that everyone's on the same page. And then from there, we can we understand that, okay, everyone's on the, starting off at the same foundation. Some might have a little bit more experience because they've been in our program before. And then we move on from there building up um, kind of going throughout the whole body and so really our goal is to have them have a great experience in terms of being a student therapist making sure that they get a, a wealth of knowledge from us as much as we can impart on them so that they're equipped when they go on to um, their professions or to their grad schools and then immersing them in in the Spartan kind of culture and community and making sure that they're part of the teams and getting that experience as well because obviously it's not just work we want to make sure that they also get the community side of it as well. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you ever see a lot of yourself in a, in some of these like junior therapists, just like <laughs> with like the mindset of like, how do I take care of these athletes? They're probably freaking out a little bit. Totally. Yeah. We also, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's funny that you say that, but yes. So at the beginning when you see someone and obviously um, if you've never encountered a traumatic injury at any point in your life, you're going to be maybe peeing your pants a little bit before that happens just because of the anticipation of it. And so we try and support them by being out as much as we can alongside them and then kind of calming them down. So, okay, let's mentally prepare. Okay. If this happens, what are our steps that we're going to do so that at least they have kind of a systematic um, process of what they need to do so that they can revert to it when the panic sets in, when they get out there and something actually has happened or if we're not there with them. And so um, yeah, I see myself in that all the time mm -hmm. when I was a first year student as well, when I encountered something that I hadn't seen before for the first time, when I was swamped with school and I didn't want to be there putting in extra hours because I had so many other things on my plate. Like I try and look back and empathize with those moments. And so try and, um, help guide them through it as much as possible. Right. Okay. So last question. Hit me how excited for the next Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So one, if I could just go back and do 2020 again, it, I would do it a hundred percent. Any, yeah. Give me a call. I'm there again, just because it was so fun. I don't even think I've really processed a, this past year in the pandemic getting ready for it and all the logistics that went into it, how crazy it had to be to train to get there and all the stuff that we had to do as a program. Mm -hmm. well, I can't even process the last five. I haven't yet processed the last five years of going into it, getting us ready to be back in the Olympic cycle because we were out of it since 2008. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I started with the program in 2006. So like there's so much to kind of look back and reflect on to see how far the program has come, how far the athletes have come, how far we've come as a staff to get to this point of bringing home a medal for Canada. Um, so if I take the time to reflect, I would probably think this is even a thousand times or a million times more incredible than I'm actually processing in this moment. So that would be awesome. Excited for 2024, but disheartened that softball is not in the 2024 games. And so it's not one of the core sports. And so the core sports have to be in every Olympic games. And then aside from that, then the host country gets to select the sports that are in the games next. And so we're looking forward to 2028. Um, Still excited for 2024. The Olympics are amazing. If I have the opportunity to be there in another capacity, then I would love to. But um, yeah, disheartened for our softball program, for our athletes as well, because that's hard to go into a cycle where you're supported and funded and then you're out of the Olympic Games. And so that's a big decision for the rest of those athletes who are staying around in the program to commit to a seven-year um, goal or cycle versus yeah. the next three-year cycle. Seven years is a lot of years. It is a lot of years, but there were athletes who were a part of our 2008 Olympic team who mm-hmm. were competing this year in 2020 with us. And so it's not out of reach for any of those athletes who want to potentially commit to it. Um, but it is a long time to commit for sure. Yeah, 100%. Anyways, Nat, thank you so much for joining the Sparta podcast today. We're really glad that we got you on and we are really proud for the role you served uh, with Team Canada and a well-deserved accolade for you in the uh, 2021 games. Thank you, Tyler. It was incredible to represent our country and, um, and Trinity. And I'm super blessed by the opportunity that God's given me and the fact that um, Trinity has been super supportive through this journey into the 2020 Olympic Games. So thank you. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Anyways, <laughs> that's going to wrap up episode six of the Sparta podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And Thank you.